What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we uh, begin a series of sermons that are connected not to each other, but to important aspects of the church and our community. Today is Mother's Day. Next week we'll celebrate Change the World Sunday with a focus on missions and the work we can do to change the world. The next week is Confirmation Sunday, and we'll welcome several young people as they confirm their baptism and join as members of the church. And then we have Memorial Day, so there are a lot of exciting things happening, and I'm so glad you've joined us for this Mother's Day as we celebrate our mothers, those who have poured their lives into us to make us what we are today. We're going to spend some time on an aspect of motherhood that might otherwise be ignored. Mothers often work tirelessly, especially when they are raising young children. And even if they get a day off from work, they never get a day off from motherhood. Now that cuts both ways. Sometimes that's beautiful and can lead to delightful moments with one's children. But it can also be a never-ending requirement of caring for children. Even if you need a break or rest for perfectly valid reasons, you may not get it. This sermon is all about being sick and tired. We're going to read our scripture for the day from John 4, 1 through 24, and it may not seem like it has much of a connection to being sick and tired, but we'll get there. As uh, Brian reads, let's hear now the word of the Lord. Brian? Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be the water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. 
what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Thank you, Brian. And from Exodus 18, 9 through 13, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men for us and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the sun set. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the sword. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in us that we we might hear today what you have for us to receive your rest and to do your work here. Amen. Well, my wife Emily told me the other day something that surprised me. She said she felt like every time she got sick that she didn't have space to just be sick. At first I was a bit confused because when I get sick, I just tell everyone I'm sick not to bother me and I go to bed. Just a couple of weeks ago when I got my second COVID shot, by the third day I gave in, went to bed at four in the afternoon, and woke up the next day. I didn't think twice about taking that space to rest when I was sick. Emily, on the other hand, doesn't feel that way. She told me that on a different day when she wasn't feeling her best, that she just couldn't stop. Everyone was home and everyone was having a problem. My son Davey needed help with his homework. My other son, Hale, was upset because of his teacher, and I had just pounded my fist onto my desk because my computer wasn't working properly. Now, don't get me started. Nothing gets me angry like a computer that doesn't work the way it's supposed to. It's a computer. It's literally designed to do precisely the same thing every time. But anyways, Emily saw all this, and she felt she couldn't walk away. No matter how rotten her day was or how ill she felt. She had to help. She had to do something to reduce the tension and make sure the house was working smoothly once again. I imagine there's more than one person here hearing this that could re relate to that feeling. You're sick, you're tired, you need to walk away, but you feel compelled to stay and help. So of course, when Emily told me how she felt, I told her she didn't need to stay. She didn't need to fix things. I can do it. If I can run a church, I can handle two boys, even if they are in full meltdown mode. 
problem was, I wasn't really hearing Emily. It's not necessarily about whether I am capable of handling things or not. She doesn't need me. She needs to be released from a burden that comes from others, from the world out there. It's like the person who is sick and needs to stay home to recover, but they know if they miss a shift at work, they'll be fired. Or the friend who needs to tell you something really important, but they are worried you'll be upset and end the friendship. Emily felt hemmed by society that says she is responsible for the children, that if things go wrong, it's not my fault or the children's fault, it's her fault because she's the mom. She can't have a sick day because when I take my children outside in the snow with no coats on or in the sun with no sunscreen, it's somehow her fault for the kids going out without those things. Some of you might be familiar with the phrase mom guilt. It's that feeling that you aren't doing enough or not doing the right things. You know it's mom guilt when you are worried that a decision about what to serve for dinner or how much screen time your children get might be the cause of them going to therapy later in life. That's just not how it works in real life, of course. But the feelings of inadequacy are real. And I don't think it's fair to be dismissive of this and say it's just feelings or insecurity either. It's also family, friends, social media, and lots of other pressures that can lead to even dads can feel what we call mom guilt too. The other day we were having our home inspected by the state. We are eligible to be foster parents, so every year they come to make sure everything is in order. Emily and Spence took full 24 hours ahead of time preparing the home and we were 10 minutes away from the inspector arriving. Emily turned to me and said, both kids are quietly reading books and this place looks so good, I think we could win Parent of the Year awards. No joke, less than 30 seconds later, punches were being swung at both parents with the room completely destroyed. Sometimes it doesn't matter how good of a job you do, there are some things that are beyond your control. But mom guilt isn't the only thing happening behind the scenes. I, I learned this interesting concept about something called the mental load. We don't just take on the immediate responsibilities right in front of us. There's also the organizing and planning that has to go into making sure things are done. If you think about children going to school, it's not just the work that they do at school. It's supplies, a packed lunch, getting dressed and out of the door on time, it's planning playdates after school so they have friends while they're in school. There's so much more than just school. But somebody has to think about that and make a plan so those things can happen. In the United States, those responsibilities fall disproportionately to moms. Imagine a project at work with no project manager. It's probably not going to go well if no one coordinates the project. Or imagine the project manager, manager has to do all the work his or herself with no team. That's the problem moms run into over and over, and because I don't understand this, it means my beautiful, lovely wife never gets a sick day. She gets sick and tired, but there's no one to take on the mental load. Uh, Emily grew up in Lancaster, and it is a good thing that she automatically gets Mennonite healthcare for being there. That means if she feels sick, she just ignores it until it goes away, 
best healthcare money to buy. But we know this isn't a fair way to run a home. It's not a fair way to treat people that we love. Everyone needs a break. In fact, even Jesus needed a break in John chapter 4. I'm sure we can learn many things from this story that we read here, but let's look a little closer at one woman's response to Jesus when he was tired. It starts with Jesus crossing from Judea into Galilee, that's southern Israel to northern Israel. But the problem is, there's an entire country in the way, Samaria, the middle chunk of what we call today Israel, is ruled by another country. And many Israelites hated the Samaritans. Not only were they a political and commercial problem, splitting their nation in two, it was also a religious problem. Samaritans were considered half-Israelites because they married non-Jews and practiced their religion differently from the true Israelites, those who had gone into exile in the Babylon. Some, when they traveled to the north or south of Israel, would take a, a boat along the Mediterranean or down the Jordan River, but most would pass through Samaria, which was quick and cheap, but definitely passing through enemy territory. So when the disciples go in and get some food, Scripture says Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. Look at that. Even Jesus gets tired out. A woman comes out from the city to draw well water, which is strange because it's midday. People typically do that early in the morning. Clearly, she is different or marginal to the rest of society. And eventually, we find out it's because she had five husbands, and the current man she's with is not her husband. But far more important than this is the conversation they have about water. Because they are by a well, Jesus asks for water. The woman is taken aback by this. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. So she has to be thinking, why is he asking me for, for a drink? Is he, is he flirting with me? And Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. Living water usually means it's not stagnant. It's, it's flowing and moving. But we know Jesus is saying more than that. He's saying he quenches the thirst of the soul. So this woman who's ostracized by her community and has to come every day at the hottest part of the day to avoid people is thinking in the first category. She says, come on, buddy, who are you? You're a foreigner. You don't have access to a river or a stream. You aren't better than Jacob who built these wells. Jesus says, no, I don't build wells where the water just sits. I give living water that brings eternal life. And she wants it. She wants this water that brings eternal life. It's almost as if she's saying to Jesus, okay, prove it. Jesus invites her to go get her husband. And we hear the part about five husbands. And this is actually significant to this Samaritan woman. She sees that Jesus is a prophet because he knows something personal about her life. This is proof to her of the previous thing he said. If he is a prophet, maybe he really does have access to this living water. This is exciting. Her belief and trust in Jesus at, at this point allows him to go further. Jews and Samaritans have argued for generations about where to worship God. The Jews say you have to go to the nice, beautiful temple in Jerusalem, while the Samaritans say, well, we used to have a nice, beautiful temple too here at Mount Gerizim, but you came and destroyed it. Jesus says, no, it's not about 
where you worship. It's who you worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. The Jews and Samaritans were waiting for Messiah, an anointed one of God. And Jesus says, I'm here. I am the one you've been longing for. I fulfill the deep needs of the heart, not for well water or an easier work day, not for a spouse or partner that acts the way you want, not even for a nice place to worship. Jesus provides the Spirit of God right here, right now, to enliven, encourage, and change your life for the better. You feel thirsty? Jesus gives living water. You feel tired? Jesus gives the energy of the Holy Spirit. Let's bring it back to where we started. What if you're feeling mom guilt or the mental load is just too much? Where do you go? What do you do? Jesus says, I offer something even better than helping you out of your guilt. I have an even greater plan for reducing your mental load. The answer is is Jesus. And I know that sounds too simple because it is. It's not like we just say, okay, Jesus, you're my answer, and then everything is better. No, we have to keep working at it for Jesus to really be our answer always and everywhere. Just like how Jesus didn't reveal himself as the solution until after the Samaritan woman believed he was a prophet and really could give got to believe before you can take the next step. Here at the church, we just had our first wedding in a really long time. The pandemic caused weddings to be rescheduled and rescheduled again. Some ended up being canceled or moved to an outdoor venue, but this couple from yesterday, John Elsinger, has been helping to coordinate weddings for years, and she is a gem. I was absolutely delighted to meet her and work with her. She knows where everything is and what everything does. She even taught me about the secret light that signaled the organist to play, Here Comes the Bride. It was so much fun and such a great team to work with. But what spoke to me was the relationship John and Ellison had with one another. They were such great communicators. You could see how well they loved and listened to one another. But they didn't get there in a day. They hone those skills over their lives and are able to give their best to one another. They believe and trust one another. And because they are able to do the same is true with Jesus. Are you sick and tired? Do you need to unload your burdens today? Trust Jesus. Take the next step in your journey with the Lord. Give your best. Small groups are a great way to deepen your faith. We've got missions work that we're doing. Maybe you need more Sundays here at church. I was delighted to hear John and Allison, who only uh, got married here because they liked the church building, say after the wedding, they are coming back for Sunday morning worship. The team made such a good impression on them. They want to be a part of our church. Now, when you see them, and they're here in worship with us, and you tell them that I preached a sermon about them, make sure you tell them that I shared the very best things about them and how much we love and care for them all day. All right, do that. That's very important. So I ask you, what is the next step in your journey? 
L-type structures will do that. Love like the best moments in the world love. Love like God loves the world. Drink that in so that it refreshes you, reinvigorates you, and renews you for what lies ahead. The one you long for to quench your thirst, to satisfy your soul, to walk with you through the most challenging parts of life is here right now. Put your trust in him. Jesus offers to those that are sick and tired the fullness of life in him. Let's get ready for that next step in the journey and bring our very best to the Lord. Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.